Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Five Star Movie Podcast, a movie podcast from two guys who don't want to be a a product of their environment. They want their environment to be a product of them. I am Ryan Hurley, and I'm here with my esteemed co-host and informant for the FBI. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't go with a little Letters of Iwo Jima line reading there. Sam Wolfpool oh, is here, by the way. Didn't just drop the Japanese on us. You know, I've been practicing it. <laughs> I've had Duolingo uh, up on my phone every day. But uh, sadly, I just I wasn't feeling pod ready. Ken, Wat- Ken Watanabe is disappointed. <laughs> there's, there's the extent of my, my Japanese, Ken Watanabe. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. And I then- appreciate that. I think uh, so. My cousin lived in in uh, Japan for a while, and uh, like a, a friendly greeting is "Ohio gozaimas." There you go. That's all I know. A little language for the pod. Yeah, yeah. For all you linguists out there. Yeah. Thank you. We'll be sticking to movies for the rest of this pod, though. We've got a really fun one: the 2007 Oscars ceremony, um, with a lot of fun movies. But first. What have you been watching lately, Wolf? I've been busy watching movies for the pod and catching up on all of my my desire to watch every movie that they cover on the rewatchables. I listened to the first two minutes of the Bill Simmons podcast today just because I knew he was going to advertise the next rewatchable. <laughs> you would have you would have enjoyed this week's because Bill literally comes on, gives you the rundown for the show. And then it's just like, he's just like, and now Raja Bell for like 40 minutes. Like Bill is not even in the first 40 minutes. I loved Sundays. I, I actually felt that I actually was interested in Sundays because I was like, I really want some NBA content right now. And him and Ryan, I thought was a really good show. Um, they're just long and I, I can't commit. I, my brain is too small. For... I, I like have the ADD thing of just being <laughs> like, I'm, I'm doing work playing video games and then listening and then probably have sports on on my computer. Mm-hmm. I also have the Bill Simmons podcast on in like <laughs> the background. Just over. I used to listen. I used to listen to my podcast sped up so I could like fit them all in. And then I, and like, and then I turned it back down and like a couple days ago, I tried to turn it back up. My head hurt five minutes in <laughs> and I was like, dang it. I'm stuck. Like shit. I'm, I'm stuck at, at one time speed. Yep. Uh, so I went to uh, the movies. The movie theaters reopened in Wisconsin. Um, and I went and saw Words on Bathroom Walls. It's a movie with uh, um, Charlie Plummer, Taylor Russell, Andy Garcia, and Anna Sophia Robb, and Devin Bostic, if you know who that is. Uh, it, was this, it was a really nice, tender little movie um, about this kid who finds out he has uh, schizophrenia. And it's like him trying to live with it. And he falls in love with this Taylor Russell character who I literally did not know who she was. And then the next night, my girlfriend and I watched Escape Room that she's in. That movie's kind of cool. And it was just a nice little movie. Nothing like special. Nothing that couldn't just come out on Netflix. But like it felt a little bigger when you go to the theater and watch it. Also, Andy Garcia played a priest. And (laughs) he was freaking hilarious. And I just want Andy Garcia to show up in random indies for the rest of his career. You know what? I would like to have a, a just like a resurgence of Andy Garcia. Where's mm-hmm. Ben? You know. Yeah, and in researching for like future pods, I've been 
watching one series of movies that Andy Garcia is in all three. And uh, I was like, oh, I like him. I wish he was in more. <laughs> he's probably waiting for the call for the next one. Yeah, he's even like the the recent Ghostbusters movie. I feel like he was the best part as the mayor of New York. I kind of liked that movie. I'll be honest. I love Kate McKinnon. I didn't hate that movie. I'm just very like middle of the road on that. It got... It did not deserve to get absolutely slammed. That no. was a little much. No, that was idiotic. I've got a, I've got another question for you though. How did it feel to be in theaters again? It felt good. Like it felt very safe. Um, the my theater took a bunch of like dream loungers, like the big red chairs, and they like had a bunch of them like xed off. Like you were, I, we were nowhere near anybody. And it felt like pretty safe. I know the big thing they talk about is apparently if you like breathe, it gets in the air and it can like something with the air. And I, I, I don't know. But the fact of the matter to me is they've opened up restaurants. They've opened up this and that and that. And I don't. And the new thing is people are slamming movie theaters. And if like where I go to movies, it's rarely full. So I'm not that worried about movies. I imagine if you're someone who goes to packed movie theaters, don't go. But if you know you can be pretty spaced out, like it's a good thing to go back to. I think we're going to see new mutants this weekend. I don't want to pay $25 for the two of us to see new mutants. So <laughs> we might wait for a discount day. The, uh, yeah, I think you definitely can see just by like opinion of, of people about movie theaters is who lives in like New York or Los Angeles and who doesn't, because I think it like, I, I remember pre-pandemic going to, like, the Lighthouse, and it was a packed theater. So, like, things just get packed out here all the time. But, like, I know in our hometown, you if you went to, like, a movie on, like, a Tuesday, there's probably, like, three people in there anyway. So yeah, it sort of makes sense that you would be able to social distance a little bit better uh, in in your neck of the woods. I love, I love Twitter. It'll be, like, some, like, someone... Some, like, critic from, like, L.A. will tweet something about don't go to theaters. Then someone from, like, Nebraska will get, like, pissed off, like, I ain't go to theaters. It's perfectly safe. And then someone from L.A. will respond, be like, don't go to theaters. It's a horrible idea. You're just blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, everyone should just stop arguing about this. If you feel safe enough and, like, if you take the precautions, it's it's fine. But if you go somewhere where, like, you're just going to be next to people, don't don't do that. Uh. Our, our beloved big picture podcast, like they did a, a whole pod recently about like stay safe at the theaters or whatever. I like that. I, that podcast for me was felt very real or it was like, I'm not, I'm not going to go to the theaters anytime soon after yeah. listening to this, but then Skip that one <laughs> for, for you, it's got to just feel so different because the conditions are just so different. I just skipped it. I was like, you know, they've done this podcast a couple times. Like, I know what they're going to say because, like, they're saying their truth. Yeah. And it's just it's just different, and I respect it. Like, I, I get it. And I'm, uh, I think I'm going to go see Tenet when it comes out. Oh, you'll have to tell me how it is then. I'll probably have to wait another, like, two months to see it. <laughs> All the reviews <laughs> are like, this is great, but I didn't get it. And I'm like, great. That's what I want. <laughs> like, sounds fun. <laughs> what have you been watching lately? Um, so, uh, I have been watching a lot of stuff for the pod the last few weeks, including this week. 
So I was lighter on, on movies that I watched just for fun. But I did, after our discussion last week of, of Faye Dunaway, I went and watched Bonnie and Clyde, like immediately mm. after. I really Good enjoyed movie. it. I really yes. liked it. Is Gene Hackman in that? I was thinking about this today for a while. Is that him? He yeah. plays like Clyde's brother. Okay, yeah. For a while. He's good in the movie. Uh, the two leads, though, are just such standouts. Um, and they're, they're a ton of fun mm-hmm. in, in the movie. And that, like, spoiler alert, the death scene at the end is just really iconic and really well done. I like the movie a lot, though. I was glad I watched it. Good. I, I double featured that one time with like my parents and I sat down and watched The Highwaymen, which is like a movie oh. from last year, you know, about the guys hunting Bonnie and Clyde. And then I like went in my basement and watched Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> you watched the like you watched the uh the version about like the typical good guys and then you watched the version that like glorifies the criminals. <laughs> Pretty much the the Highwaymen is such a dad movie, but it's kind of enjoyable. It uh, it's that gets, that's got Kevin Costner in it, right? It's Costner, and I top of my head, I want to say it's Harrelson. Top Costner and Harrelson. That sounds right. That sounds right. I've got to watch that one too now. After yeah, it's after watching Bonnie and Clyde. You're gonna you're like it, it, it's a lot different. Like they're different movies. Like one one is definitely like better than the other, but like <laughs> you just kind of got to go in with the right expectations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting story. Yeah. Oh, you know. yeah. And then we also had some friends over uh, and they asked, we asked them to give us three like categories or like moods to, to choose a film. And they said post Y2K, pre-death of George H.W. Bush, romance movies. And so we watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which uh, I like the movie a lot. I know you're, you don't like it quite as much, but um, uh what is just like what a strange way for them to tell us to to find a, a romance movie in the two thousands, like what, the time what, where they're making the least amount of romance movies. Why? Why was that the? Like, where did they even come up with those ideas? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think I think we asked them, and they thought, like, oh, I'm going to say this to be funny, and then like we like fired back ten options, and and they were like, oh. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, we, we both got that. And I was like, okay, so post-1999, mm-hmm. when did George H.W. Bush die? Pretty then, recently. Yeah, 2018. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. we landed on Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which um, made me wish I could go to Hawaii right now, but I can't. Just a classic, like, people just want to go on a trip to Hawaii and make a movie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know in our discussion though off air uh, we sort of we're, we're having a discussion of like there's some uh, comedians that we don't find super funny even though they're constantly in comedy movies and um, I think for a quick, quick, quick question this week wow um, I thought it would be nice to talk about some comedic actors you do love seeing in movies do you have a couple choices Wolf? I like seeing Paul Rudd in movies. He's like he's he's like really good at being in movies that like are like really beloved that like I don't necessarily think are like the funniest thing in the world. But like I love seeing Paul Rudd in like Forty Year Old Virgin. I like when he I like his character in there and I love him in uh Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And he's great in like 
uh, this, I didn't seen the first Anchorman, but the second Anchorman, he's hilarious. And I love him in Clueless, which is not really like a, I don't know if it was meant to be like super comedic, but he's hilarious in Clueless. <laughs> and I just love seeing Paul Rudd on my screen. I think, I think a movie is better when he's in it. That's, uh, he wasn't the first person I thought of, but that is a great choice. I it, like, is there ever a movie that, that you've seen where you just didn't like Paul Rudd in it? Cause I, I don't think I have. <laughs> no, I'm not big on Ant-Man. Uh, but I love, I love him. Like, I'm like, I'm yeah. so glad he's a, I'm so glad that he's just a superhero. Agreed. Yeah, definitely agree. Oh, and he's the teacher in Perks of Being a Wallflower, I think. I've never seen that movie before. I saw it a long time ago. I like, I, I remember really liking it, but I wonder how it would resonate with me now. It seems like a good, it felt like it was something that was popular, like, with high schoolers mm-hmm. and so it would be interesting to watch it like with a little bit older perspective yeah it had emma watson with uh, mm-hmm. like, i think that was post harry potter yeah definitely it was definitely post harry potter much better role for her than uh, my week with marilyn my god <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i forgot she was in my week with marilyn yeah i think oh. she forgot too i think we all forgot I, i've I've seen that movie and I, I can't even, honestly, there's not really anything I can remember about that movie. Not even Emma Watson. I just know Michelle Williams was freaking immaculate in that movie, but she did not win the Oscar because I don't think anyone saw that movie. Yeah. Can, can you blame them though? <laughs> it's like fine. It's uh, it's my class. It kind of falls in the same like category as like uh, Capote and a movie we're going to talk about today where the lead, where the lead is great. But the movie itself is like pretty forget pretty forgettable. Definitely, I think that's a perfect segue into our main discussion here today. But who do you find funny, uh, girls? Oh, sorry. Uh, I I was gonna say uh, Seth Rogen. Okay, is is one. one that I always uh, go see his movies. Like uh, I watched an American Pickle earlier this uh, earlier this quarantine, which like is not is not my favorite of his movies, but. You know, it's whatever. But like the even things like Longshot, I went and saw, um, you know, he's just somebody that I consistently like if I see that he's in a movie, I'll go and see it. Um, Or if he's directed it, you know, like Sausage Party or uh, I think did we talk about This is the End on our summer movies podcast? I think I think so. I think you mentioned it. I don't remember, but I feel like we did. That's definitely one where like. I think that was the one where it was like, I had seen super bad. I knew I liked him from super bad. Mm-hmm. And then we saw this is the end in high school. And I was like dying laughing. And that like kind of cemented it for me where I was like, I will see every single Seth Rogen movie. And he's, the, and he's the best part of the new Lion King. That's true. <laughs> Once again, I, him and, uh, him and um, uh, Billy Eichner as, as Timon and Pumbaa, they have such great chemistry. The only the only good parts of that movie. I hate that movie. That movie, you know, instead of visiting, revisiting them in those roles, what I've been doing lately instead is is watching the Billy on the Street uh, oh. clip with Seth Rogen, where Billy Eichner is asking people if they would have a three way with him and Seth Rogen. <laughs> or uh, I think there's one that they do where the they they pretend Seth Rogen is dead and he's like holding a camera and then 
and then they'll be like, Seth Rogen's dead, and the person will be like, who? And then Seth Rogen will just like pull down the camera, and he'll be like, he's right here, though. <laughs> the person's like, nice. <laughs> it's so funny. It's funny. <laughs> well, we'll move, uh, move on to the 2007 Oscars uh, ceremony. Uh, our Best Picture nominees from this year were The Departed, Letters from Iwo Jima, Babel, Babel, not Babel, The Queen, and Little Miss Sunshine. Um, I felt like this was a pretty decent crop of movies. I felt like they were all consistently at least well-made. Yeah, I came down to the conclusion that I loved two, really liked one, thought one was okay, and didn't love one of them. So that's like a pretty good year right there, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, We'll start with the one that we both collectively... Uh, didn't love uh, at number five it's Babel uh, the movie directed by Alejandro G. Inuritu. Mm. Um it's I, I'm struggling to even describe the plot of this movie it's I guess like a series of vignettes about violence uh, you know drawing many different types of people together does that sound close enough to you (laughs) yeah just uh how how one one little moroccan boy shooting cape blanchett affects the whole world it it stretches from the united states to mexico to japan and everywhere in between including morocco (laughs) um i don't know if i i don't think either of us have too too much to say I'll just cycle through what I what my thoughts are here really quick. Um, it's I think Inuritu directs the movie well, but it just feels a little bit Oscars-y to me. I think I prefer his movie 21 Grams to this one, even though they're both kind of a similar thing. Um, I like Pitt and Blanchett in this, but they're just not in it a ton. Um, and so that's like a little bit frustrating at times. And like, I, I genuinely wonder why Kate Blanchett even took this role. Like, she really could have been anybody because she's just been like, she's just injured the whole time, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some, some things like really escalate quickly and uh, like really get out of hand and get like emotional uh, for sometimes no reason. Like, the one that I'm thinking of is the, with the young Japanese girl. Uh, which I think is probably the weakest like vignette here, and it ages really poorly because the character is like underage, and there's a lot of nudity, and then or, and then um, there's just like a lot of like really uncomfortable sexual advances that she makes on people, which I I get that that's like the point, but it just like ultimately was not fun for me to watch. Um, so I think that's probably the big thesis of this movie for me is it just was not like enjoyable for me to watch, even though it was well done. So I kind of just like was sad and had to like play 2K for like an hour after this and, and you know, had to wipe it from my brain after that. <laughs> fair. That's fair. How, uh, did you, how did you feel about this film, Wolf? I, I felt like, I feel like I was into it at first with like just between like, I feel like there was going on and like Morocco and then the stuff with Cape Blanchett and Brad Pitt was good. But like, 
I feel like the way they connected the Japanese girl to the whole thing was like her dad gave the gun to the guy who gave the gun to the guy who gave the gun to his kid. (laughs) And I feel like that was by far the most like questionable connection of why we even have this story. So it almost felt like they were like, let's just have the story be pretty crazy, pretty weird, pretty like over the top. And that's what they did for sure. Um, I feel like I agree with you that the movie was like directed well. Like the pacing I thought was fine. I mean, it was a long movie. It didn't like rush through. It wasn't super slow, but like, I don't know. And at no point was I really like, oh my God, we have this. Well, that's not true. I paused it halfway through and I was like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, d- I didn't necessarily have trouble with the pacing, but that could be because I like ordered lunch and, mm. and ate and stuff like that <laughs> during the movie. That's but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, I feel like there was like the one thing I I, I kind of like, but also like thought it was kind of just cheap, was the way that they the stories didn't happen like chronologically. Like they had like Brad Pitt placed that phone call that then like sparked the next story, but then the story was like going in a way. It was just like all the stories were like jumbled together in a way. But what I did <laughs> like is they were like distinct enough and they didn't like cross paths. Like it wasn't like traffic where like Captain Jada Jones, like crosses paths with someone else. I can't remember who, who yeah. but um, which I, I liked that a lot. And I, I, but I did kind of like how that Babel made sure to keep it separate. Um, and I feel like looking back on it, I don't really know like what this movie accomplished. Like it, I didn't walk out of this movie being like, Oh man, I had no idea it was that tough on immigration laws. Really? Yeah. Like, none of this was surprising to me. And I, I really doubt in 2006 when this came out, people were like, their eyes their like eyes were just opened. Yeah, like, it feels somewhat, like, naive to, to just be like, wow, you're just showing me so much about yeah. violence in, in nowadays. And yeah, like you said, like, immigration. Like, I don't think there was any anybody watching this with 2020 eyes that saw that car go across the border to Mexico and was like, yeah, they're going to get back in with no problem. It's Easy. like, you know, immediately. <laughs> and, they, and it was funny because they were like, they were like trying to make the guy seem like he was like pretty drunk. And it's like, oh, that's going to be a problem. It's like, no, the fact that they're trying to get back into America is going to be the problem. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's funny too, whenever they have like people be like, wow, you're too drunk. Maybe you shouldn't drive. And then they're driving, and they're driving perfectly, except for like one bad decision they make. Like this guy, he's staying in the he's staying in the road just fine. He just makes the stupid decision to like run away from immigration. Yep, drove great though. Um, yeah, I, I you know in the end, uh, I'll never watch this movie again. I don't think this movie resonates at all. Eh, a little bit, but I don't really. It's not like something like in ten years. Like let's say I, I, I like I want to show my kids someday. Like I will absolutely not pull this movie up. Yeah. Uh, uh, certainly not as their children either. Okay. I, I think you made a great point though that like you, you come away from it and like you're like depressed, but you don't really understand why. That was why I liked 21 Grams better. I think is it's like about it's about drugs more and it's and like grief, and you kind of understand like how those things are bad in a more tangible way and like how it connects people. Whereas this, you like kind of walk away and you're like okay, so what, (laughs) you know, and and so it just kind of felt cheap to me, I guess. I 
I, I think that's a good way to end our conversation on uh, Babel, which was called, which honestly is probably announced Babel because it was named after the fact, like in the Bible, there's this whole part where like they all go to like the Tower of Babel and like it's all people speaking different languages and it shows like globalization. And I think that's why they called it this because of all the different cultures coming together. But uh, they didn't ever say it in the movie, so I don't know how to pronounce it for sure. And they just spelled it differently. So uh, maybe uh, they didn't. Ah, who cares? I'm 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 past it. I'm in the past on this movie. I watched it. No, no wonder I didn't um, pick up on on the Bible reference with this one. Then I didn't either. <laughs> I literally was like, ah, ba- Babel, Babel, perfect. <laughs> my my zero uh, zero visits to church really really failing me on this yeah, one. <laughs> it's not coming in handy for you. Well, but, uh, we'll move on pretty quickly to the notable nominations here. This got seven nominations. It got one win for as I quickly click this, it got one win for music. Um, the one that we're going to zero in on though is the best supporting actress role. Uh, Jennifer Hudson ultimately won for dream girls. Um, Adriana Barraza, <laughs> uh, from this film was nominated. Kate Blanchett for Notes on a Scandal. Abigail Breslin. <laughs> You're like, what? What? Abigail Breslin for Little Miss Sunshine. And then, uh, pardon me uh, if I say your name wrong here, but Rinko Kikuchi, uh, who was the young Japanese girl in this film, was also nominated. So it seems like the, the, the Academy was drinking the Kool-Aid of the, uh, the schoolgirls story in this. <laughs> This movie got really good reviews, so it doesn't surprise me that it got those kind of Oscar nominations. Uh, I've never seen Dreamgirls, but Abigail Breslin should have won the Oscar, and that's all I got. I feel like you, if you're going, if you're going uh, with, if you're choosing a person to win on this one, I feel like the, I feel like Abigail Breslin is probably the one that would have been the best. Like I would have liked that the most, but I think. You know, Dreamgirls is the is the like movie that made Jennifer Hudson a star, like a big star, I think. So I don't I don't think they're necessarily wrong to go with her in that, even though it's, that movie's not really my cup of tea. But oh, it's long. Yeah. Fox, <laughs> my God. Eddie Mur- I think Eddie Murphy got an Oscar nomination for it. Yeah, we'll All be right. talking about Eddie later. I think let's move on though. I think we've we've done it. Uh, so at number four, we have. The Queen. And the Queen focuses on... Are you drinking tea? Pinky's up. Pinky's up for this one. (laughs) The Queen focuses on uh, the death of Princess Diana and how, like, the royal family handled it and how the media handled it and how the Prime Minister of Britain at the time handled it. Um, Overall, it's not, like, uh, necessarily, like, a great film. It's uh, mostly a, another vehicle for Helen Mirren to, for it's a vehicle for Helen Mirren to win an Oscar. Uh, one of the funny things about this movie is like a lot of these people who played like these roles played the roles again. Like Helen Mirren, like just played the same queen, and Michael Sheen played Tony Blair again. Uh, it's just like a nice little movie that like kind of shows you what life was like uh, right after Princess Diana died and how the royal family reacted to it, and it's like. It kind of made me think a lot because, like, the royal family like wasn't reacting to her death at all, and everyone was pissed because like she was such a princess of the people. 
and then but uh, like as the movie was going on like at first like i totally was like why are they not responding blah 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 and then as the movie went on i was like you know like i get it like they want to mourn their own way even though like he wasn't really like a part of the family anymore because there was like a divorce in there it's uh it, it, it it's an okay movie it's not super memorable um i really like james cromwell's outfits <laughs> Um, other than that, I don't know. I don't have a lot of thoughts on it. I thought, I think if you're someone who's like, you know, doesn't know a lot about the death of Princess Diana, like what happened there for like someone like me who I, I don't, I, I don't know when she died. I don't remember when she died. I don't even know if I was alive when she died. And uh, it was just kind of nice to like learn. I feel like I learned something. And I, I, the one thing I did like is the intermixing of like actual footage and like the actors like on the TV and like the actual footage. Which I thought was cool. <laughs> I thought that was really like a really neat little trick. Yeah, they did that really well. I I definitely agree what you're saying too. Where it sort of feels like spark notes for if you weren't alive for Princess Diana's death. You know, where you're watching this and you're like, oh, that's what was happening. I was barely oh, alive. What... Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, like like you and I, we were not conscious for for all the the like tabloid fever around us. So like, I don't think either of us had like a big idea of what was happening. So it was like interesting in that way to watch this. And I agree that Helen Mirren is great. It's it, this was probably the world she was like made to play <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, and Michael Sheen is fun. It's Tony Blair. Um, you know, it's like a nice enough story, but it's just uh, like unoriginal. You know, we've seen this, we've seen this like a billion times, right. Where like, it's the, it's the like stodgy by the book person, and then the like upstart revolutionary, and they learn to like, uh, like take something from each other and sympathize with each other. Like you know, it's nice enough to watch, but it's not entirely interesting. No. The like ten trillion time you've seen it, but you know, it was it was fun. This is a well done version of that, and uh, the writer of this, uh, Peter Morgan, is the same as he's he's one of the creators of The Crown. So I think in many ways, this is like the test run for The Crown yeah. on Netflix, sort of how Gosford Park, which we talked about earlier, was just like the test run for Downton Abbey. So I think it's, you know, fun in that sort of way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it should necessarily be like getting Oscar nominations. And I feel like that was a big thing around, like we keep coming up on where it's like, boom, little biopic, little piece of someone's life. Best Picture nominee. I don't know if that happened. I yeah. can't. I feel like that doesn't happen as much anymore. Like I feel like if the Queen came out today, I don't know. I feel like I mean Judy. Judy's a, sli- a, a slightly worse film than the Queen, and that wasn't nominated for an Oscar. So I feel like we're moving in the right direction on how we look at uh, these biopics. Um, yeah, yeah that's, I agree. Yeah. That's I think queen. like I, I haven't seen this movie. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like a good comparison would be like if last year, like if Harriet got nominated for Best Picture, where it's like a, probably a completely well executed movie, but like just ultimately by the book. And so like it doesn't wouldn't really excite anybody, but just the Oscars or the Academy loves it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was so excited for Harriet. And then I went to it and I was like, oh, I didn't really like this movie. <laughs> like uh, biopic. Okay, <laughs> it's a little too long. None of the like, I I think Cynthia Reeve was really good in it, but like, 
they're like, boom, Leslie Odom Jr. is in it, and Janelle Monae is in it. And I'm like, ooh, that's exciting. But then neither of them were really in it that much, and I was disappointed. You're like, ah, shit. Okay. Pretty much. They, <laughs> they, I, I get got on that more often than not. <laughs> it's okay. Well, we'll, we'll I think um, the fact that we're talking about Harriet probably means we don't have too much more to say about the Queen. <laughs> so let's just move on to the nominations. This got six nominations, only had one win which was Helen Mirren as the best actress in a leading role. The other nominees were Penelope Cruz in the Pedro Almodovar film, Volver, uh, Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal, which is a movie I've never heard of, uh, Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada, and then Kate Winslet in Little Children. Uh, I feel okay with this being Helen Mirren, but also like The Devil Wears Prada is kind of iconic now. <laughs> I uh, I looked up notes on a scandal. It looks kind of cool. Uh, and uh, I've never seen any of these movies. To be completely honest, I own Devil the Worst Prada. <laughs> I'm ready to watch it whenever I find the time. Uh, I'm okay with this. I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with Helen Mirren winning for the Queen. I think it was a really 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 good performance. Yeah, Helen Mirren winning feels about right. I've got I've got a little piece of trivia here for you. Do you know who the writer and director of Little Children is? Uh, Steven Spielberg. It is Todd Field, uh, oh. who we gave quite a bit of praise for in the bedroom. I might have to watch this now. Oh man! Oh wow! It's got a good IMDb score. It's on HBO Max apparently. Jennifer Connelly's in it. Sign me up. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly, Patrick Wilson, oh, Jackie O'Haley. Is this Patty Wilson before he decided he was just going to be in horror movies? I, it has to be right. <laughs> <laughs> I think though, Mirren feels right for this one. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to our number three here. Clint Eastwood's second of two films about the taking of the island Iwo Jima in World War II. This is Letters with Iwo Jima. Um, I was scared to watch this movie going in because I was just worried it was going to be like a really macho war movie from for lack of like a better descriptor. And I was really pleasantly surprised that it was like, it was very wistful. It was, it was kind of sad, but in uh, not like an unnecessary way, like, like, like Babel. Um, I thought a lot of the performances were pretty good, especially Ken Watanabe. Uh, he's really enjoyable. Um, and then, Everything like looks really drab and disgusting, which I think normally is an insult for a movie. But in this case, like they just make war look like hell. Like the guns are so loud and everything looks the same color. People are dying everywhere. Uh, and you really just get this like hopelessness that watches, washes over you as you're following the Japanese soldiers um, in this. And you really see like, both sides of people, like some people becoming uh, very tender and like trying to help as many people survive as they possibly can. Like our, our main guy in this movie, whose name I'm blanking on. Isn't it Saigo? That sounds right. I'm, I'm looking it up as we speak. I liked him a lot though, uh, just sort of following him, trying to like survive. Um, yeah, Saigo uh, as he's surviving. But then you see other people sort of really turning to like violence and um, 
you know, brutality, like, like some of the American soldiers here, um, or the, um, like the captain, Captain Tanita, who's like, starts off the, who, who really starts off this movie uh, bad and then doesn't even get any better by like whipping Saigo and then ordering all those guys to kill themselves. But it was really, it was just a really well done movie. It was, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not like a huge war movie guy, but uh, I definitely liked this one. I definitely thought it was like a better war movie. It's just a good, like solid film. Um, even though it was all in Japanese, which definitely put a little more effort in on me watching it. But that's not like I I will watch movies with subtitles all day, but it definitely like it's a little more effort, which is like totally fine. And I definitely enjoyed myself. There was that one part in English. That's actually one of my favorite scenes just because it really explained like the mindset of, you know, being from Japan and we're like what you want and what your country want are always what your country wants. And a lot of the flashbacks were really good, I thought. Oh, the one with the dog? Yes, Such that one. That, that was definitely on the front of my mind, is that one. That was um, like... Oh, go ahead. Uh, or the the one, too, where it's Ken Watanabe, and he's just driving, and he's reading that like letter to his wife about like coming home from America. Yeah. I thought that was really nice, too. I got confused on that one, because that was right when he was like dying. And then they go to that, and I was like, did he survive (laughs) are we digging his grave right now (laughs) do you live (laughs) i like the dog uh scene a lot because well not not for the dog's sake but i enjoyed it because that was like right around the time in that movie where i was like oh man like this is good but like it's really starting to like you know like slow down it'll be a little repetitive and then that scene happened and i was like oh wow like this is was a really good like place in the movie for that. Like I really needed that scene right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it was really effective too to sort of show like things are not good anywhere right now. <laughs> no. Uh, I liked how the movie, like it wasn't like a macho war movie in any way. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I love, I, some of the reviews I was reading were a little like hard on the first act of the movie, but like, I love the first act of the movie. I think that did a great job, like setting up, these guys who are fighting for this island they have literally no interest in fighting for um and they're all like some of them are dying just from drinking the water and yeah they know that these americans are going to come in the air because they already killed a bunch of their like boats and they showed that big completely fake shot of all the boats all the ships coming up and and like they just knew that this was like a battle they were going to lose like that's all anyone was saying was like you're going to die on this island and it was just like these guys like this isn't like uh these these like this isn't like the freaking whatever uh people in like Zero Dark Thirty who go and kill Bin Laden. Like these are like these dudes they pulled out of like a bakery to come fight. Yeah. They do then like they do a great job of showing that like especially in that first act, like like you said, they don't really care about this island that much. They already were like had their odds against them and then like it seems like the uh, emperor is like trying to stack the cards against him too, uh, like n- like taking their air support and taking away things like that. And I think going into this, like we we've enjoyed Clint Eastwood's movies that we've like reviewed on here, and I- I've enjoyed a lot of the ones that I've seen. But I, 
he has this sort of like reputation as like a, a very like man's man. So going into this movie, I was like worried that he was going to like glorify war in that way. Mm -hmm. But, and so like, you know, like in the beginning when they're just kind of talking and like digging ditches and things like that, I was halfway expecting for that sort of like war movie pacing to kick in where it's like, there's like an action scene or something in the beginning and then that never happened, and that almost made me feel like more secure in enjoying the movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, I uh, I definitely liked how it was just like, like like I feel like the summer is what you said, like how it just was like a different type of a war movie. Then like there was no hero, <laughs> there was there was nothing like to really like be like ah like you know sometimes war works out. It wasn't really a part of this movie. Yeah, exactly. Like they're not they're not like trying to like glorify anything. In fact, the people that like do go out for glory in in the war are kind of made to look like foolish in this movie. Like the guy who straps on all the landmines and then goes to like lay down and after a while he's just like nobody comes, he's just like, Ah like what the fuck am I doing? I thought that one was. I, I thought that part was really interesting, though. I this thought, was just a really well done movie, though. Yeah, I I agree. I uh, yeah, I'm happy we watched it. It was definitely a movie that like I knew existed, but then I always got it mixed up with Sands of Iwo Jima. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know anything about. I didn't like. I don't really know anything about Iwo Jima. I feel like we never get. We never got there in school. So yeah, I'm happy. I I, I got to like learn a little something. I think the only thing that they tell us in in school at least in our high school was just the like iconic like raising of the flag or yep. whatever which that part does make me interested in watching the like so this did you know that this came out like clint put out just two films in this in the same year about mm-hmm. this like flag of our fathers i i am interested to watch that one too um maybe not for the pod but you know yeah yeah i think it as much love as the other one so i'm curious what's going on there yeah, maybe it was a little bit more glorification. Who knows? But, um, you know, I'm I'm happy that at least this one got some love. Agreed. Um, less nominations than the other two we've talked about. It got four nominations. It still only had one win. Um, the key category I wanted to talk about here was Best Original Screenplay. Um, Little Miss Sunshine and Michael Arndt ended up winning – but uh, Babel, uh, uh, which was written by Guillermo Arriaga. <laughs> um, and then this movie, which was written by Iris Yamashita um, and story by Paul Haggis. And then Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. And then The Queen written by Peter Morgan. This kind of feels like a little bit of a stacked ca- uh, category in a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love Little Miss Sunshine. So that's a totally fine win for me. But like Pan's Labyrinth, I feel like... I, I I've seen part of it. I remember watching like a Spanish class, but I never. I don't think I ever finished it. We I don't think we ever finished it. But I oh really, man, it's like an interesting movie for sure. From what I remember, so like that could have won. I mean, Guillermo del Toro is like a genius. The Queen. That's an original screenplay. It's based off something. That's even <laughs> yeah, though that feels Iwo Jima, That's original. I guess, I guess the story that they told was original. It must it must be like well. That feels really weird that the Queen is nominated now that now that you say it because it's not even like, you know, with with this movie maybe some of the characters are not real or they're composite characters or something so that feels okay, 
but like hmm. the, the queen like we all know who those people yeah. are yeah, pretty much <laughs> are real people yeah <laughs> well yeah well good win for little miss sunshine that's a tough category for letters of Iwo Jima, letters from Iwo Jima to be in but it won for sound editing which is funny because you thought the movie was too loud well <laughs> i didn't really like in a theater i'm sure i would have loved yeah. how loud it was but like for for my purposes where i've like had the like during our pixar watching i had our neighbors like banging on the walls <laughs> and like ringing the doorbell because i uh, was listening to the movies too loud wow this definitely made me very nervous that like 11:30 at night when artillery is going off and i've got the like i've i've got the sound turned down to like six <laughs> <laughs> i was like uh i am not getting the fucking doorbell rang tonight god damn it that's hilarious that they do that they they're they're a little bit touchy i this is the, i have some off pod comments for my <laughs> my neighbors do you want to <laughs> move on to number two let's move on to number two the absolutely delightful Little Miss Sunshine. Um, just a really wonderful cast. Tony Collette, Greg Kinnear, Steve Carell, Alan Arkin, Abigail Breslin, Paul Dano. They're all fantastic in this movie. I think the highlights for me were Carell and Dano because um, they just had so much like fun chemistry together. And then also Alan Arkin is just like, he's... He, I love whenever he's just playing like the old curmudgeon because he just fucking cracks me up. And that definitely was the case here. Um, and I thought it was really like, you know exactly who everybody is from the very beginning. And then you just kind of go from there and you like watch them change and like grow together. I thought that was really great. Um, and then my God, the fucking pageant scene mm. at the end was amazing. I wanted to get up and dance on that stage yeah. too. <laughs> it, it was like so important to the movie to have like that scene work because like that was the whole point of this movie was to go figure out what the heck Alan Arkin was teaching Abigail Breslin to do at a, at a beauty pageant. <laughs> I I really have questions like like when when Alan Arkin is just like ah you need more work. And I'm like really you need more work on that routine. <laughs> I liked how, like, um, like my girlfriend came into the room, like, late, and I'm pretty sure she asked me, like, do they not know her dance? And I'm like, no. These people, like, the like you said, the moment that, like, you meet the characters, like, you know everything about them, and it's like, no. These people do not care what her dance is, but they're going to, no. but damn it, they're going to get her to this, they're going to get her to this pageant. Are you kidding me? Greg Kinnear's just too busy following the uh, the nine steps, nine, man. I, <laughs> that dinner, that the initial dinner scene was like gold because oh like, my god he's yes. like preaching the nine steps and <laughs> Steve Cross is like <laughs> you put up with this every night and Paul Dennis is like yep he's just like nodding his head because he's he has taken that uh he's not talking he hadn't talked for nine months <laughs> you know I almost wish I did that in high school I would have liked to have done that at certain points. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I knew, I, I think I knew I was going to like this movie like three minutes in because they were like introducing all the characters and I was like, wow, like I'm already sold on all these characters. I'm sold on this like score they're playing with them with, in the background. Like I'm in, I love everybody. Like, let's just like get up and go. 
Um, I love all the twists and turns. Like uh, Alan Arkin dying was like definitely like that scene was sad, but like the two best parts of him dying where we got like, well, there were so many good parts of him dying. We got like the great scene of them trying to sneak the body out the window. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Um, and then I, and then I do love when the police like stopped him. And instead of like noticing the, the dead body in the back of the car, he notices like the porn magazines that Alan Arkin had been reading. Yeah. The nudie mags. And then there's the, there's, there's the one for, for homosexual men. And then uh, he's just like, uh, <laughs> that and and to have it be played by by Hank from uh, Breaking Bad yeah. was just even better. <laughs> and then I I love when they're at like the pageant and uh, they put the they put the microphone in front of Abigail Breslin and they're like and he's like I want to dedicate this to my grandpa and he's like and the guy's like is your grandpa here today No he's in the back of our car. <laughs> <laughs> I like too when the people from the uh, from the funeral home come and he's like eyes here and the guys are just like what and they like clearly know that it's like a hospital sheet they just like ah whatever <laughs> they throw his body in the back of the truck that car <laughs> must have reeked oh my god another that that car must have been a fucking hellhole by the end of this trip because there's that there's the there's the dead body stench the fucking uh, the gear shift doesn't work anymore, so you have to run to and jump in the car, and then also like the the goddamn horn breaks and it's just honking on its own. <laughs> I would have lost my mind on that road trip. Uh, there's so much that movie. Like I feel like every part of that movie is like so good. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't feel like we shouldn't just sit here and just flesh out the entire movie, but. Every scene of that movie is so funny, and I just think it's funny because the characters are so well developed, and everybody was so good in their role. Yeah, um, Steve Carell apparently wasn't like super famous when this movie came out, and then he like Forty Year Old Virgin happened, and The Office happened, and then he suddenly was like a star. And like honestly, with like three good things too, because like this is a genuinely good movie. Um, the Office is a genuinely good show, and Forty Year Old Virgin's a really good movie too. Like, he just had it going. It makes yeah. sense. This movie, like, I was because it it feels like it's definitely got like a, a strong reputation now as like a like a really solid like indie movie, and I was worried that it was going to be like sort of uh, too hyped up for me in that way. But like it, it, it. This movie deserves all the love it gets. Like I, I love this to pieces. I like genuinely don't understand how someone could watch that and be like, nope. Like it's so good. It's so much fun. All the characters, like even Greg Kinnear, who's like a complete asshole. Yeah. He body shames his seven year old daughter into not oh wanting to God. eat her ice cream. That scene was like, I was sitting there like, what are you doing, Greg? And and Abigail was so good in that scene. She's just like anybody want my ice cream and then they all start eating it she's like i want it back <laughs> yeah that's it, it, it's a great point though like that's how you know that the movie like at, is just firing on all cylinders as far as like getting you to know these characters and like love them is like you know with the great Kinnear character you do feel like you just like know him 
yeah. you know, like, like I wanted to be sitting at the table too and be like, shut the fuck up, man. You know, like <laughs> stop that. <laughs> and then, but yeah, but then you still want him to like succeed later on. And you like, still like watching him like come around. Uh, I, we could genuinely talk, talk about this movie all day. I think. <laughs> uh, my one final thought is if you are lucky enough to live, to be old, like Alan Arkin, don't become addicted to heroin. Yeah. <laughs> You know, maybe just smoke some weed. <laughs> <laughs> Anything but doing doing lines of heroin. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's ever a good time to wake up and do lines of heroin. Oh. Great movie. Um, great movie. This got four nominations. It had two wins. Um, one of which was for Alan Arkin in the best actor in a supporting role. Uh, the other nominees were Jackie Earl Haley in Little Children, uh, Jimon Hounsou in Blood Diamond, Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls, and then Mackie Mack Wahlberg in uh, The Departed, which we will be talking about very soon. Uh, like, with all due respect to Mackie Mack and Eddie Murphy, who I think we both love, like, hell yeah, give it to Alan Arkin. Let me wait. Let me do a little, let me do a little research here. Oh, okay, this is his only Oscar. That's fine. I'm thrilled with the win for him. Marky Mark's great. Um, I've, I've, I, I got, like, I think Eddie Murphy's probably great. The one noticeable person missing to me is Leonardo DiCaprio for, uh, the departed isn't listed. Uh, but apparently like it was a thing where he didn't want to like get in Mark Wahlberg's way. Like he didn't want to get anyone's way. And they pushed his performance in blood diamonds really hard. A movie that nobody talks about. And he ultimately <laughs> lost Blood Diamond to Forrest Whitaker for uh, Last King of Scotland, a movie I've never seen, and don't don't really want. For, Forrest Whitaker's not really my guy. I'll be honest. He uh, he make he's not always the best part of movies. He's a little bit of an overactor, I think. Forrest is. Uh, you could say that. <laughs> That's a nice um, way of putting it. We're just trying to be nice here. Yeah. Leo Leo pushing hard for. Blood Diamond, uh, a movie that nobody talks about now, and then losing to Forrest Whitaker in The Last King of Scotland, another movie nobody talks about now. Yeah, I was looking at that Best Actor category, and I was like, this has got to be one of the first times we're not talking about this category. And I'm like, oh, that's why. Yeah, and there just wasn't too many fun options in there, truth be told. But good for Alan Arkin. Are you ready to talk about your movie? Oh, am I ever ready. I could talk about this movie every day of my life. I could watch this movie every day of my life. I've seen it about 10 billion times, and I was still fucking gushing over it yesterday after I watched it. And that is The Departed. Um, I'm a huge Martin Scorsese fan. This is one of my favorite of his movies. Um, I, I, the, the amount of times I've, I've seen this is innumerable at this point. I, I've lost track. Um, it's so quotable. There's so many good actors. Mark Wahlberg, um, Matt Damon, Leo DiCaprio, Anthony frickin' Anderson, um, Martin Sheen, Alec Baldwin, uh, Vera Farmiga. It's like every scene, there's just somebody new that I'm like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like just, just so fun. Um, Martin Scorsese is uh, really like – pulling all the tricks out of the bag, I think in almost somewhat of like a sarcastic way, he's like, you don't want to give me my best director win for any of my other masterpieces. He's like, 
here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw X's in the background of everybody that dies. I'm going to put the little rat running across at the end. It's like, give me my freaking Oscar. Um, and I just have so much fun watching it. And Damon, I think, is the real like anchor of this movie. You know, everybody else kind of one-ups each other and like has fun being really over the top. But I don't think this movie works without Matt Damon. And I wish he would work with Scorsese again. Yeah, that'd be great. I, uh, I, I guess I never realized that he never worked with him since then. I don't know what it would have. Think- but I can't think of one he would either. I agree. It seems sort of just like a match made in heaven. Like Matt Damon's so good. And I, I want him to do more stuff with Scorsese. The, uh, the first time I watched this, I was definitely like, I really followed Damon. I feel like Damon was like on the screen a lot. Like the first time I watched this and it was like really a Matt Damon movie. But then the second time I watched it, which was this past week, I was like, wow, like DiCaprio, He's in this movie a lot. He's got such an interesting story. And I think uh, I think that I'm happy I got to rewatch it because I feel like I just saw so many different things the second time. Uh, I love all the actors trying to do their accents. Um, Vera Farmiga, I bless, bless her heart. She's very good in this movie, except when she's trying to speak in a Boston accent. Uh, Nicholson, I don't know what accent he's speaking in. Yeah. What, but, what the hell is Jack Nicholson's <laughs> It's New York for some of the time, and then all of a sudden he's like, what could I use you for, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what the hell? Now you're from Boston? <laughs> he, uh, he's out of control in this movie. He's over the top. He's having a great time. He, I don't know if his performance is like good, but like I can't imagine this movie without Jack Nicholson in it. It's sort of like it's, it's not like it's not the same as like the other people's performances, you know, like, yeah, it, I like, I, I hesitate to say it's, it's bad because I do fucking love him in this movie, but he's just like doing such weird shit. You can tell everybody else is so like caught off guard by that. And it kind of makes the movie better for it, at least in my opinion. <laughs> oh, there's nothing I would change about this movie. I completely agree. I think my, like one, my, my favorite part of this movie is definitely like the last like 50 minutes of this movie, like the moment Martin Sheen shows up, shows up to 433 Washburn, this movie like hits a whole different level. Everyone's out of their minds. It's, uh, it's really, really great. And I think the one thing I love, the other thing I love about this movie is like, it's not afraid to just have like ridiculous scenes. Like it almost doesn't really feel like an Oscar movie at times. Yeah. Uh, The scene with like the mass processors were like, with like, Matt Damon like texting in his pocket. Oh my like, god! Perfectly, no one noticing Leonardo DiCaprio having a phone behind a wall. <laughs> the fact that like the camera guy like didn't set up any of the cameras correctly, and they have like this big raid. My favorite part of it is the fact that Matt Damon rolls in and he has like no idea this is going to happen. <laughs> and Martin Sheen's like, "Here you go, son. Like, run, run the team. Like, you got this." And it's like, what? What is going you know- on in this scene? You know the playbook. Now it's time to call the shots. Yeah. <laughs> and the other it's, thing, what, what, you're totally right, though. You're totally right, though. It's it's just like ridiculous. Alec Baldwin in that scene is uncontrollable. Oh my god! When he walks up to the guy and he goes, "Patriot Act, <laughs> Patriot Act, I love it." <laughs> Gene Hackman's character from Enemy of the States, like, 
flicking him off. <laughs> Gene Hackman is furious that he couldn't overact <laughs> the way that Alec Baldwin does, but fuck, I, I love it. <laughs> it. It was just... Uh... I just love this movie, and I, I was thrilled to get to rewatch it. It moved so quick. It took a good two and a half hours. Uh, and I love the ending, when you realize everybody was infiltrated by everybody. There was, like, no one clean anywhere in this whole yeah. fucking operation. Yeah, it's like there's there's rats on every side. Yeah, that scene, too, where I I was, I was talking to my roommate, and um, we were both saying, like, I really wish I could go back and like watch this movie again for the first time mm. and just like remember and feel the shock that I felt when Leo just gets like plugged in the head. Yeah. Like I, I remember like, I think I audibly gasped when yes. that happened the first time. Like, <gasps> you know, then Anthony Anderson comes down, which I really like Anthony Anderson in this movie. I think he's really good uh, as like his friend from the police Academy. He's got like, <laughs> three or four, maybe five scenes, but, like, I love at the beginning and he's, like, running with Leo. I forget the whole conversation, but Leo's just like, you're black in Boston. You already have enough problems. Yeah. Like, he's, he's talking about, like, he, he doesn't get any, like, sexual favors or something until he passes the academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what it was. He's like, uh, I have evidence linking this prick to Frank Costello. He's just like, Maybe you do. <laughs> so good. <laughs> they must have loved him in this because then he became a cop on Law and Order. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's what I know him from. <laughs> you don't know him from Blackish? <laughs> well, Law and Order was first. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. Um, yeah. Oh my God. I I almost don't even know where to where to go with this because. There's just so many th- things I love. Um, I will say one one thing that always like cracked me up growing up is that on the AMC version of this, they didn't edit out the like scene where they're at the opera and there's a, like cocaine and he like throws it on the bed. He's like, "Don't move until you're numb." Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm like, "What AMC? We're not cutting this out? That's strange." Okay. That's a that's a, that's a just peak Jack Nicholson in this movie. Like if you ever want, if you want to show someone one scene to be like, how's Jack Nicholson in this movie? Just throw him that scene. You know what makes that scene even like funnier in hindsight is apparently that wasn't in the script, and like Jack Nicholson was like, we need this scene. Oh, no, <laughs> like like watching it now, it's like it doesn't feel like it fits at all. Even though it's like an entertaining scene, it doesn't feel like it fits at all. And then you read that piece of trivia, and you're like. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Do you want to move on to your new segment? Yes. I think this is a, this is a one and only segment um, for this movie. But we've got the quote corner on this one because, my God, there's so many quotable lines. I th- I, going through this and compiling some of these, these uh, uh, quotes, I realized that basically if, if you have a scene with Dignam or, or Ellery, uh, I, I love that scene because they just apparently got the best lines. I agree. <laughs> like there's the, at the police raid, which uh, definitely you, you pinpointed is definitely one of the most fun scenes. There's the police camera guy is like, who the fuck are you? And Dignam's just like, I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. <laughs> Seriously. What was that guy doing? He did not his job. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Why isn't there not a camera in the back? I get you had two hours, but like, Jesus. Nope. 
that they just slip out. Yeah. <laughs> and then the whole like, I, I won't go through it because it's a long one, but the whole like monologue where uh, Ellerby is telling telling uh, Damon that he's going to like be in charge of finding the mole. And he ends it with like, ladies see the ring. They know immediately you have some cash or your cock must work. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, this really instills me with confidence <laughs> to find myself. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> he's like golfing out there too. Baldwin was just having fun. He is. He's, he's golfing, drinking a Budweiser and just talking about Matt Damon's cock for some reason. Hey, I do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I also like Dignam's quote. My theory on feds is that them like mushrooms, feed them shit and keep them in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any quotes you wanted to highlight? Um, I really liked when Mark Wahlberg walked by near the end when Damon's on the phone like, yeah, I, I could figure out who the mole is. And, and he's just like flicking him off as he's walking by. <laughs> <laughs> that seems so funny. <laughs> I love, I actually, I really like when, uh, Billy Castigan, Leo, is like at his therapy sessions with Madeline Vera Farmiga. And I like how Vera Farmiga is just like, why is the last patient day always the hardest? And Leo's just like, because you're tired, you don't give a shit. It's not supernatural. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good line. I also like, he says, I can't remember what the whole like line is, but she says something to him and he goes, okay, hot shot. Yeah. <laughs> I also like when. And uh, Jack Nicholson comes out to the bar. He's like, who lit this IRA motherfucker in my bar? And, and he's like, I'm just kidding. How's your mother? He's like, oh, I'm afraid she's on her way out. He's like, we all are. Act accordingly. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, Jesus, that turned really quick. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wonder if that's an ad lib too or not. <laughs> yeah. All, uh, act accordingly. Act accordingly. <laughs> What's your final quote? I think this one is meant for last. Yeah, well, we'll we'll end the quote corner on this. Uh, you have Ellerby and, and Dignam talking to each other in their first scene together. Ellerby goes, fuck yourself. Dignam goes, I'm tired from fucking your wife. Ellerby goes, how's your mother? Good. She's tired from fucking my father. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like on a dime. Like they both were perfect in that scene. And like, everyone's just, it's like, this is in front of like, like really important, like cops. And they're just like, Throwing these bullshit lines at each other. I think that that's this is why this movie is so fun. Is is like it's a crime movie and it's definitely a serious movie. But there's so many like fun lines and they're just like like in this scene they're just firing them off and like if they weren't saying fuck so much, this could be in like you know like a ratatat like comedy from the 40s or 50s. Like this could be like His Girl Friday if mm. they weren't caring so much. Pretty much. It's what makes it so entertaining. It's so fun to watch. Um, this movie, it had five nominations. It got four wins, uh, including Best Picture, and uh, most notably the uh, for Best Directing um, for Marty. Uh, and then the other nominees were Inuritu for, for Babel, I guess it's Babel, <laughs> Clint Eastwood uh, for Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, Stephen Frears for The Queen and United 93, uh, which was directed by Paul Greengrass, uh, who's famously the director of the foreign movies. Um, I'm really happy Scorsese got a directing one for this. This feels really well-deserved to me. 
yeah, I'm really happy for him and proud of and like happy that he finally got his Oscar. Um, I'm definitely a little confused as to why the duo from Little Miss Sunshine didn't get anything, but I'm really yeah. happy that Scorsese did. I feel like we could have subbed them in for Stephen Frears. Stephen Frears. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Have you ever seen you <laughs> that in '93? I have. Oh. Um, a really, really long time ago. Uh, I remember it being good. Um, that's not like one of my favorite movies from this year, but I remember enjoying it. Um, I do, though. I do feel really good about Scorsese winning this. I know some people like bemoan him or bemoan them like for giving this to Scorsese now as like a makeup Oscar, but I don't feel too bad about it. I think this is a, a really good movie. I think people maybe maybe need to not like think about it in such a pointy headed way. Like this is just a really fun movie. Yeah, I'll need to I'll need to find it. Actually, it's on Netflix. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with this year of Oscars. I'm happy we got to talk about The Departed and Little Miss Sunshine, and I'm happy we got to watch the rest of these. Yeah, we had we had two male ones to begin with, but it's like the the other three like were all really good, and like the last two are are awesome. And I agree. So much fun. What are so, your what are your other notable films of 2006? So there's some good there's some good movies from this year that I had seen. Um, the ones I wanted to highlight was The Host, uh, not the Stephanie Meyer adaptation, but the Bong Joon Ho movie, um, which I, I actually watched in quarantine, and is really good. I think it's on Hulu or Amazon Prime right now, um, and I would definitely recommend it to everybody. It's a fun little like monster. Well, not fun, but it's a it's a it's a good monster movie. Um, and then I, I had to give a shout out to Casino Royale uh, with Daniel Craig, which is a really great Bond movie um, and an underrated like poker night movie, too. Is that his first Bond movie? Uh-huh. I, I'm not good with my I don't know. My Bond is not my strong suit. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, oh, Lordy. He did. He did Casino Royale, then Quantum of Solace and then Skyfall and then Spectre and now the new one whenever that comes out. Hmm. But Casino Royale is great. I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it now in, in order to tie myself over for no time to die. <laughs> um, we mentioned Pan's Labyrinth before. It's a really great movie. Um, I'm sure people have gushed about this before, but it's a really great movie. I think I, it's my favorite of Del Toro's stuff that I've seen. So definitely recommending it. Um, the Prestige. Great movie. Super underrated. Christopher Nolan movie uh, came out this year. It's awesome. Uh, and then Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Uh, it's just a fun one. Yeah. And um, if this movie didn't exist, uh, I don't know what my family would talk about over Thanksgiving because <laughs> they, they quote the goddamn scene of uh, Thanksgiving scene from this movie, like ev- literally every th- single Thanksgiving. So my mom took us to that movie when it came out. I don't know why she took a nine year old <laughs> to that movie, but that's like her one like mistake of like movies ever that she just like missed a boat. Out. She should be seeing this movie, and it was fun. <laughs> it's a fun movie. <laughs> that that one movie that you get to see as a kid uh, that you weren't definitely weren't supposed to see, but then you're in the theater and you're like, hell yeah. That's always the best one. He was like, "You know, not to swear like this, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." You're like, "Sure." I yeah. I remember. Fuck yeah, my mom. dad. My dad took us to see Ted 
on Father's Day the year it came out. We were definitely way too young to see that movie. And like, <laughs> that was the biggest, like, don't tell your mom <laughs> ever. Like, we all loved it, but we were all like, don't tell, don't tell mom. <laughs> you want to hear? What movie you want to highlight? Um, so Prestige is definitely one of my favorite movies uh, from this year for sure. Probably should have been nominated for an Oscar. The ones I wanted to talk about were 300, which is Gerard Butler and one of Fassbender's first roles. It's a wholly <laughs> ridiculous movie with just a bunch of dudes with six packs. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, like, it's just a fun one. It's it's a really fun one. Best viewed, ironically, but definitely very fun. <laughs> it's like one that I learned that like people like me who don't care much about history can be like, oh yeah, this is fun, and then people who like love history are just like, this is still like a good fun movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the holiday came out this year with Jude Law, Kate Winslet, Jack Black, and Cameron Diaz. That's a fun little movie. It's a nice little Christmas time rom com. Uh, Michael Mann's uh, Miami Vice came out this year. That's a great movie. It's finally coming <laughs> to streaming. It's uh, it like has his really you know interesting way of shooting movies with like. It has great digital photography in it. It's uh, it, it it was much maligned when it came out, but it's actually like a very good, well-made movie. If you can remember to put subtitles on, because nobody knows how to fucking speak in this movie. And Colin <laughs> Farrell apparently doesn't remember making this movie, which says a lot about his performance and the amount of cocaine he was doing. <laughs> uh, moving on to a similar movie, uh, High School Musical came out that year. That's a fun. I like that franchise. I think they're fun, harmless movies, and a lot of people from those movies have gone on to, you know, do interesting things. Like I like I like what Vanessa Hudgens has gone on to do, and Zac Efron is still a good pull, I think. And I I've actually come to enjoy most of his performances. We're all in this together. Thank you, thank you for that. That was great. Um, little musical breakdown and then uh there's this horror movie called all the boys love mandy lane it's this movie that's like shot it's like the coloration is super weird it's basically about (laughs) amber heard (laughs) who like watches this guy like kill himself when he's drunk on accident and then all the boys like are like falling in love with her walking around like all by herself like she's like this like new like She's like this, like, who, who's, who's this, you know, Mandy Lane girl. And she gets invited to this like farmhouse for the weekend with all these people. And then when they all start to die, you like have to figure out like, you're like, what's going on? Like, why are all these people dying? And like, they're all trying to live. And that one was sort of like it, that one had a really delayed release, right? I don't know. I I think it was kind of like lost to time for a little bit. And then finally, finally got a release, which is, I'm I'm glad that it I'm glad that it finally saw the light of day. Oh wow. I did not know that. Uh oh yeah, you're right. Interesting. It's a oh wow, it really did. It's a good if you like, you know, horror movies, um, it has a cool aesthetic that I think is a little unique. And uh it's just like a nice movie. Amber Heard is, you know, nothing special because it's Amber Heard. But <laughs> It's a cool movie, I think. And the other movie that came out this year that I didn't get to mention in my five is Nat at the Museum. Love that movie. Hell yeah. Uh, if you had to do your own nominations, would 
would there be any you'd subtract, any you'd add? I'd probably just make sure the Prestige got a nomination. I'd lose Babel. Uh, that's yeah. That's probably really. I can't think of anything else. I yeah. I feel like I haven't seen enough like really great movies from this year. <laughs> I feel like there's not too many to add in. No. I take out. I take out the Queen and, and Babel or Babel, put in Pan's Labyrinth, the host, and the Prestige, and call it a, call it a day. I think. Uh, Marie Antoinette came out that year, a movie I've been meaning to see forever, and I feel like if we did this move, podcast after I wa- finally watched that, I'd feel differently. We'll, we'll, we'll pencil in, like, Marie Antoinette TBD nominee. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> It'll get a little asterisk next to it. So what are we doing next week? Um, so, I, yeah, that's a, that's a wrap on our 2007 Oscars. Um, next week, very exciting. Uh, the king of the five star podcast returns, but I mean Steven Soderbergh. Uh, we will be doing a Steven Soderbergh draft. Uh, we will go five rounds, each taking some of our favorite Soderbergh films, um, comparing, contrasting, discussing. Long live Soderbergh. Soderbergh reigns. Um, you'll get the first pick here, right, Wolf? I believe that's the plan. Looking forward to it. And then what was our ruling on, on the oceans movies? Um, um, I think you should, I think only we're going to only be allowed to take one oceans movie in total, but don't worry. We will still talk about all of them. Yes. We will make sure we discuss all three. Um, we're laying out the ground rules here so that everybody knows them going forward. I think this will be a fun and, uh, action-packed podcast and i can't wait i've been watching steven soderbergh movies for about three weeks now uh to prepare so i'm super excited i uh i've i've been working through it i feel like this whole quarantine ever since our podcast started i've been working through soderbergh and i got a couple more i want to catch and then i'm pretty much ready to go yeah i feel i feel close to set like some of his uh some of his like more obscure ones i'm not going to watch but i'm 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 trying to go get through a lot of them. I'm excited. I'm telling myself if I'm going into this with like eight Soderbergh movies that I could confidently talk about how much I like them, I'm good. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, we'll save some of the discussion for uh, next week then. Um, and we'll all see you then. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye, everybody. We'll end this the same way The Departed Ends with Matt Damon. Just, okay. <laughs> <laughs>